Score, the podcast, is presented by Spitfire Audio. Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Kenny Holmes and Robert Kraft here. A beautiful, beautiful week ahead. It's, uh, we're getting to... It's like the summertime now. Wow, it is. Can you believe it? Summertime, 2019, and score just keeps getting better and better. Thanks to you, our listeners. We're just seeing a huge increase in listenership. I think it's probably due to my co-host's charm and charisma. I was going to say the same thing about my co-host. But whatever it is, <laughs> we're clearly rocking as, well, we, thank you. as we find more fans of film music and composers and musical storytellers and we hit 2000 followers on our twitter page at score the podcast so that's that's growing and as you if you follow us you know that that's where you can find who we're announcing as our next guest we post a lot of videos on there and we even do some giveaways so make sure you're following at score the podcast we also post on uh, our instagram at score movie which is also the score documentary page Um, but lots of ways to get in touch with us and um, we have a big guest this week robert Oh, man. One of my favorites. I've really been looking forward to talking to Pinar. Pinar Toprak? Yeah, who I've known. Pinar and I have gone back. We we go back maybe, maybe 15 years. She was just a talented assistant, an orchestrator, an arranger. Uh, clearly had stardom yeah. in her future. And it was Captain Marvel that, that took her to the top. And I think, you know, we, we've, we researched all of our guests, obviously, before we have them on. And I think you're going to find that um, Pinar's story is super inspiring if you're an aspiring composer, because she definitely, against all odds, uh, got to where she is by just perseverance and, and not giving up. And um, we're excited to have her on today. And um, we also, <laughs> I don't know if you, if you listened all the way through to our episode last week with Joe Trapanese, um, you know, the beginning of the show, Robert told a score story about the cookies from uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes with Patrick Doyle. And so um, we, we did dig up that clip and uh, posted it on our social media. If you're not following, here's a, a little snippet of that. This is Robert Kraft and composer Patrick Doyle. What, what, this was at, what studio? This is at the Fox scoring stage, now called the Newman scoring stage. And um, this is, I would say, the definition of random. Patrick Doyle was stuck on a queue in the, in the scene. They're giving out cookies, the, the apes are. And um, he came up with the idea of, I got a cookie for you, as his, uh, his inspiration for uh, the track. And um, here's Robert explaining it to the orchestra and the choir. I said, we got to have these guys record over, you know, for the DVD, for something. We're going to play the cue, and you're going to hear, like, I got to hear voices say, although it's tempting to have it done in a Scottish brogue to get the authenticity. And we might have to do both, but I thought. Plan of the Apes ends, and the credits roll, and the end title should be. I'm not sure that will never happen because I'd lose my job. I figured we should do exactly 30 seconds of a pass of once you hear the rhythm, reverse engineer it so that at the end of this entire process, what you hear is. (laughs) 
the actual inspiration. I got a cookie for you. I got a cookie for you. You'll hear it. You'll hear it in the queue. The amazing thing is, he, he said earlier today that he had that idea. 24 hours later, he's on the stage and the orchestra is playing exactly the thing as this massive action cue that started with this kind of, what do I write here? I got to write something. I don't know. It's like, I got a cookie for you. That last... That's Did Patrick. I think my favorite part about this story was that, first of all, what do any of us do for inspiration? You never know where it's going to come from. And I just love the fact that Patrick was, he said I was sort of panicking. I had 24 hours to be on the stage with an orchestral cue for this scene. Here he goes, here he goes. I love it when Patrick does it. It's such a great cue. That's real. That's oh, if you so want to know what really goes on when you're scoring a major hundred million dollar movie. <laughs> uh, that's pretty a pretty good insight. But as I was saying, it's the inspiration was he's trying to figure out what is Caesar, you know, the the chief monkey saying. Well, he's God, I guess he's saying I got a cookie for you to all the other monkeys. Oh, it's so good. And that's where the idea came from. I just love that. Well, so. now, and the other thing, Robert, is now you almost have an EP ready to come out because you have I'm two working. words for you, Jordan Bieber. Jordan Bieber. Your, your track with Jordan. Huge. You got the Who's the Boss theme, Who's which the is boss? is a, you know, it's a classic. It, it, we can bring it back on vinyl. It'll be a re-release. Might do a remix. And then, uh, of course, your your latest track, which is Topping the Charts. I got a cookie. I got a cookie for you. I got a cookie for you. Oh, I got this is gonna be huge. I got a cookie. You know, I've been talking to Billy Eilish and uh, Juice <laughs> World about doing the, oh, the remix. That's such a great story. So, uh, oh, we got some more coming up too. Um, we had a big weekend this weekend, opening of a huge movie, Toy Story Four. Mm-hmm. Of course, scored by the amazing and magnificent Randy Newman and legendary. I can and probably legendary. Add. And uh, I think it did okay. I think. Are they we, setting the expectations too high out there, like for every movie now? I think they have been. I also think, as all the pundits are saying, we are in the summer of sequelitis, and we're seeing not fresh movie ideas, but easily marketed movie ideas, which are certainly good for brand recognition. But once the audience gets in there and sees that it's just okay. There's no protection for the franchise. It goes out immediately on social media. This was just okay, and it softens. Well, to have an animated film, I think it's, what is it, the third film of the year, box office-wise or something like that, like most most studios would, would love that, but I think the era that we've moved into now is like if you come out with a movie and it's not the best movie of the year, box office-wise, it's a failure, which... I'm sure, you know, the money that they made on this film and that they're going to make is it's going to be worth it. But 
I mean, it, do you think that the expectations are, are being set too high? Is this just pressure from the the Hollywood media? I think it is. I think we're in a universe where, I mean, we could have a long discussion about how the theatrical box office, if you're going to make a movie for a theater as opposed to for streaming, the idea has to be you're going to hit a billion dollars because that's now being done and anything short of that or an opening weekend that's 150 million dollars so when toy story opens toy story 4 opens at 118 which not that long ago would have been astounding number i mean you would have earned all your money back in 48 hours you're done everything else is gravy you'd already be shooting the sequel right now it's sort of well 118 what does that pencil out to be and it's not as big as this and it's not as big as that and it's a big corporate agenda these are part of not just film studios huge corporations so i don't know if this busts at one point or if it just continues to go sky high it's either a grand slam or a failure and that's a that's a black or white thinking paradigm which has got to be dangerous i do have to uh break in really quick here too because we have Uh a a breaking news update from a a story we brought you a couple of weeks ago michael giacchino posted a picture of batman on a windowsill this could be one of two things nothing or some breaking news as to the new batman i mean Let's be honest here. If if he's not doing this movie, it's it's getting ridiculous because it's it's people that he's worked with and he is very much subtweeting and and messing with us on social media. But I mean, God, I, it's probably safe to say at this so point. I love mean, if they would do one little homage in the new Batman. If Giacchino's going to score it, where you have Batman with some beautiful colored balloons over him and you hear kind of Batman and up mashed together. Let's work on that. And, uh, and then you throw in the Jack Nicholson line. He stole my balloons. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's just Th- 30 years, by the way, with Danny Elfman and, and Tim yeah. Burton's Batman. Incredible. Well, we will see. That's uh, you know, news to follow. We got some, couple interesting movies coming up um, this weekend. Danny Boyle, who's just one of my favorite, favorite directors and also is fantastic with music. Of course, he did Train Spotting. We worked on Slumdog together. He's a great director. Uh, he has Yesterday, which I'm very eager yeah. to see. You know, the story of a guy that wakes up in some alternative universe and uh, he's the only one that knows Beatles songs. So that's a pretty clever idea for a movie. Very curious to Scored see. by Daniel Pemberton. Which One of my faves. It's going to be interesting to see how he does his own thing next to all these Beatles songs and um, how much original score there is in the movie. Yeah, I'd be curious. Or does he adapt or, as they say, interpolate some Beatles melodies? And, Robert, I, I, I'm sure you've been on the financial side of a movie like this. How much money are they spending to have all these Beatles songs? Well, it's First of all, you have to, any Beatles song, just for all of you aspiring and perspiring filmmakers, you know that you need the sign-off, not only from a publisher when you want to sync something, but if it's a Beatles song, you need the Beatles. And whether that's 
George Harrison's widow, Olivia, or John Lennon's widow, Yoko, or Paul and Ringo. You need all of them to agree. You can't just take a Beatles song and say, who's the publisher? What's the sync fee? You need I mean, they're permission. probably producers on this movie. I haven't looked it up, but you got to assume, right? If they're, if they're move, I mean, this movie's being made all about their music. Yep. With, I would assume so. They're so protective. It, yeah. it took them long enough to get on Apple Music or iTunes. Wasn't it a big... That was like a monster deal. Yeah, I think part of it had to do with the fact that Apple and Apple, Beatles Apple and Steve Jobs Apple, had the same name and there was kind of some confusion and some little hostility. It reminds me, for all of you documentary fans and music documentary fans, if you do love the Beatles, as we all do... There's a really interesting John Lennon documentary available now called Above Us Only Sky about the making of the record Imagine. Hmm. It's really interesting and wonderful. I also recommend if you're a Dylan fan, that new Rolling Thunder Review doc uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. One of the best I've seen. Really? Just so great. And such I think great the, music. The critics were kind of 50 50 on it. But, I went 100%. But Robert's our, Robert's our critic. On I'm, I'm 100%. I think in some ways because I was just surprised by a lot of the music, which I'd sort of forgotten how great it was um, and how interesting Bob Dylan is as an artist and performer. So I recommend both those. But needless to say, you should only watch any of this after you've listened to Pinar because that's. Got to be your priority, I would think. The precious. Yeah, the precious is here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are joined by Pinar Toprak, composer of Captain Marvel, Krypton, the incredibly successful and popular Fortnite, which I'm sure if you don't play it, your kid plays it or your friend plays it or someone's playing it or you're playing it while you're listening to this. So stick around. We're joined by Pinar Toprak right after the break. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, Matt Schrader here, director of SCORE, of film music documentary. For the latest news from the film music world, follow us on Facebook. Just search SCORE, a film music documentary. Or let us know who you want to hear next on the show on Twitter, at SCORE the Podcast. Welcome back. We're here inside Moon Road Studios with our guest this week, the fabulous Pinar Toprak, who is on a rampage. What a year so far for you, uh, 2019. Captain Marvel just exploding. Thanks for coming on the show, Pinar. Thank you for having me. Did you ever think that 2019 was your year? Um, no, but it has become an awesome year. That's really... Sometimes I wonder about numerology, and I thought 2019, You, we talked a little bit earlier. When... We have to get some basic details, Pinar, because your fans who are wondering all about your brilliant career want to know all kinds of things. We've gotten some tweets and some texts. You came here from Turkey when? What year? It was 1997. 
97. Mm-hmm. And you said you, you didn't even speak English at that time? Very basic English. Like, what's your name? Where are you from? Wow. Yeah. And did you come right to L.A.? No. So here's a funny thing. I went to Beloit, Wisconsin. What? what? Where? <laughs> Why? Um, can you imagine that change from Istanbul? I'm like, I'm going to America. And you go to Beloit. Um, cheese curds, right? Yeah, And I don't even eat cheese. That's a little useless trivia fact about me. I'm not vegan. I just don't eat cheese. Don't send cheese. It's weird. Um, my brother used to live there. He went to college, Beloit College sure. there. And um, I finished high school conservatory at 16. And my father said, okay, well, and he was actually incredibly supportive. He was way ahead of his time to send his, you know, little girl in mid nineties. Um, and he said, okay, you know, we don't, we didn't really have any money for tuition or anything. So okay, go live with your brother, learn English. He's finished high school early anyway. We have a year to figure it out. See, you know, if you can send yourself to college, basically. So I came to Beloit, lived with my brother. I used to go to Chicago pretty much like five days a week. There was this amazing jazz blues piano teacher that I loved. Hmm. And uh, I would take the bus at first. And it's like two, two and a half hour each way. So four or five hours in the in the bus, you know, every day. And then, then I got um, a fancy $500 car. Um, <laughs> it was just, you know, amazing. Um, it, it actually ended up dying in front of this Chinese restaurant at Oof. some point. It was really it was traumatic. Hmm. But... Um, Anyway, so I was in, I was there for about a year, and I applied to Berkeley College of Music, and then um, my glorious time in Bloyd ended, and went to Boston. Did you come to America for music or just school in general? Well, I um, I've been in music since I was like five six years old. I went to a full time conservatory, um, so the, the goal was music. The goal was film music, but. Mm. Um, I mean, the love was film music. The goal, it was more like a dream. You know, wouldn't it be awesome kind of a dream? But a lot of people were telling me that it's not really wise. You know, even when I got into Berkeley, pretty much everyone told me that I should not major in film scoring. You know, they were like, it's so hard for you to get here and tuition and all of that stuff. Don't waste a degree on film scoring. You're not going to end up getting employed. If you're a piano major, you can gig around and teach and that kind of thing. So I believed them for a little while. So did you major in film scoring at Berkeley? I did, but not. that's not how I started. I started out as a piano major. Oh, amazing. And it's interesting that you said you, had a, you have the perfect combination of backgrounds. It sounds like you went from a conservatory, so you had the classical repertoire. I imagine both Western music and any music that was non-Western in addition, or were you taught in Turkey just the re- Western repertoire? Well, the school was all very Western. Yes. I mean, we couldn't even play jazz, to, to be honest, when we had to practice anything that was outside of the, the Western repertoire. One of our friends had to kind of guard the door, mm. and if there was a teacher coming, <laughs> you know, we would have to sing. Yeah, um, but in addition to Western music and you know jazz and everything else, my mom is an oud player. Oh wow! So I was exposed to sure. a lot of uh, different styles and things through them as well. This is such a robust education: oud, Western, and then you go to Berkeley, and you're going to be hearing everything from pop and rock to all those Berkeley students learning bebop scales. Right. And um, 
film music at Berkeley. We have a big Berkeley contingent in this room right now <laughs> and film music. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering when you were there, who was in charge of film music and how the courses were taught. I'd have to think, was it Dan Carlin? Days? Yes, yes. And were you the only woman in your class? I wasn't the only one, but I was... Uh Let's see. I mean, sometimes I was the only one. Yeah. But a few other classes, maybe ma maximum three, four women. And then from Berkeley. So now you're in freezing Boston. You've now gone from freezing Beloit to freezing Boston. Right. It warmed up a bit, but well, it's still cold. I right. <laughs> and then you said, I'm going to Hollywood the day of graduation at Berkeley. So I'm such a planner. I've, I'm kind of a, I'm a very flexible planner. I'm one of those, like, I plan everything in an ideal world, but then I'm incredibly flexible as to, you know, if I need to divert from those plans. Good trait for a composer. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I knew pretty much as soon as I started. Um, by the way, I finished Berkeley in two years. Because once I got there, I tested out of, like, the first year, pretty much all the basic harmony or training, solfege, all that stuff. And then, um, because my resources were very limited, I didn't have a college fund. And because I was an American, I didn't really have the loans and all these things. I got a private loan that my sister-in-law's father co-signed the first year. The second year was co-signed by my brother, but that was it. So I finished in two years. Um, the first year I was at Berkeley, I kind of already planned it out. And I became that person that all my friends were asking, so what do you got to do? You know, this prerequisite is this, you know, th for this class there, I became this expert in how to finish Berkeley in two years. <laughs> you should uh, write a book on that. Oh yeah. I, I knew all the, all the requirements for everything. Um, and so I knew that first year that I was going to come to LA. Hmm. Um, that was the goal. And did you know anyone in L.A. to come visit? Oh, no. It was so depressing. Hmm. Because all my friends were still in Boston. Yeah. I didn't know a single soul. I I remember I moved here. I didn't even have anyone to have coffee with. You could have called any of us. We were here. <laughs> well, I didn't know. <laughs> now um, everyone wants to have coffee with yeah, you. It, no, it all comes isn't to fruition. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so you came here, and, I mean, that, that can be a very tall mountain to climb from zero first of all from zero to the mountaintop and the mountaintop keeps growing but did you get a gig eventually you must have somebody must have hired you to orchestrate arrange uh score so what happened was i had to keep studying for visa purposes mm. um and i got enrolled at um well for a semester i was at ucla extension nice and uh, that was a lovely program. After Berkeley, I felt like some of the things were kind of redundant. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up getting, I, I, I wanted to get my master's degree, long story short. So I went to Cal State Northridge, mm -hmm. and I was enrolled in the classical composition department there. And while I was there, so this is year 2000, um, they got a call, department chair got a call from Paramount Music Department. They said, can you send us one of your grad composition students for an internship? And the chair recommended me. Nice. Perfect. So now my first, you know, job-ish um, at Paramount, I was on the lot every day. And the scoring stage, sadly, is not there anymore, but yeah. I was there pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of experience that as a 20-year-old, I would pay to have. Of course, know. yeah. Um, 
and I did that for about a year, met with some amazing people and musicians, contractors, and everybody, um, and really got a sense of the business kind of corporate side of things that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise, but also had the scoring, scoring stage experience and met all the engineers and all that stuff. So it was, it was amazing. It's brilliant. I mean, it's literally somebody just decided, you had a little star over your head and someone said, we're taking you into the center of the engine room, Yeah, a movie studio music department. So you can see exactly what you said. The composers, the engineers in the room, the executives who come in and say, mm, I don't know, is that... What is that instrument they're playing on the other side of the glass? Do they have to use that? So I'm just yeah. thinking. I'm thinking back at when someone said, "Don't, don't major in film scoring." And yeah. every step that you're taking, were you thinking about that? I mean, was that driving you? Because you're you're now you you fast forwarded not very much time, and you're on a lot in Hollywood, working with the people that w- was your dream right. that people told you to steer away from. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to want to prove people wrong. I think it really fuels you. You know, but you can Love either that. Let, yeah, I mean, there's a different kind of velocity in everything that you do and you feel like I'm going to prove you wrong, but for the better. Yeah. Um and so that was kind of really the the ammunition, you know, yeah. everything that I I've, I've done. Um but yeah, so after Paramount, yeah, and the goal was getting into Hans's at some point. And I knew, you know, having heard from others that something that's better done earlier in your career when you can really afford those hours and things like that. And I kind of saw it as part of my extended education. How did that become the goal about Hans? Well, so um, remember how I told you how I was a piano performance major at yes. Berkeley? Mm-hmm. So there's a little story you want me to tell you? Please. Oh, we love stories. So um, let's see. This would be 98 fall. I just started Berkeley. I'm a piano performance major. I'm miserable because I I love writing and I don't want to be in front of people. Hmm. Um, so one day I left the piano practice rooms late at night, went to Tower Records, which is no longer there. R.I.P. Newberry Street. It's on Mass Ave. On Mass Ave. Yeah. As I was saying, it was a quiz and you got it right. Yeah. That's right. That's what it was. <laughs> um, and it's like... We passed 11 at night, and Prince of Egypt had just come out. And, you know, this is before the days of YouTubes and all that stuff. So a new soundtrack comes out. You go to listening booths, and you listen, and at least that's what I used to do. Oh, the listening booths. I forgot about those. Yeah. Those were great. I'm totally aging myself. Um, And then um, I'm listening, and a little side note, I was broke. I had to work three jobs on campus. And then I bought another $500 car in Boston. That was like, and I actually sold that car for $500 when I moved here, which was amazing. Early business prowess. Oh, totally. Um, So I started listening to the soundtrack and it just mesmerized me, the production and everything else. And um, I always say that that wasn't necessarily the reason, but that was the last gigantic splash on already like full glass. So I started listening to that soundtrack and... I couldn't put it down, and they were going to close it, the store, and I bought the soundtrack with my last money. I had $20 left to my name. I had to survive one for three days, um, and I bought the soundtrack, went to my place, and listened to it overnight, and that next morning, and I, that was that one decision. I said, I'd rather fail doing something I love than succeed doing something that makes me miserable. Yeah. 
And I still have that soundtrack next to my keyboard. Um, Did Hans sign it? He didn't. I should have had him sign it. I told him the story. I think he, there's still time. Yeah. But um, it's there. It's, I have not written a single note of music without that CD next to my keyboard in the last 21 years. Mm, mm, mm. So you get out here. You're working just at Hans's in a what capacity? Do you get to well, write? Well, first, how did you get into yeah, Hans's I, studio? Yeah. So I was super annoying. I was really, really <laughs> annoying. Um, I called because I'm like, okay, I can't get to Hans directly, but I need to be in that roof somewhere. Because once I get there, I'm going to get to Hans. <laughs> How do I get under that roof? I figured out who works there. And I was trying to figure out who works for the people that work there. Because <laughs> that's, that's easier to get to. So then I kept calling everybody and I called for about a month. That was super annoying because I'm thinking, I have nothing to lose. I'm not working there now. So worst case, I'm still not going to work there. <laughs> um, so I did that for about a month. I finally had a meeting with somebody who was working for Klaus at the time. Mm-hmm. And I knew they just wanted to get me off their back. It was one of those meetings like, okay, we'll just meet this girl. So she just stops calling us, <laughs> you know. But that day I met somebody who was doing this uh, sample library Thing. They had just recorded in Moscow and needed somebody to, to cut all the samples and loop them, tune at them. Remote? At remote? Uh, well, Media Ventures at the time. At Media Ventures, yeah. And um, so I met him on the just on my way to the car in the hallway, and I gave him my car. It was like a Friday. And then he called me up, and he said, like, have you ever done sample programming? And this is Giga Studio Days. And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, are you great with Pro Tools? I'm like, Yeah. So the question, I mean, the answer was no. Pro Tools, I had basic knowledge, not to the point where I'm going to program an entire sample library on my own. Uh, but when they're, when they're asking a buying question, you, you can't say no. Oh, no. I mean, I, I still don't say no to pretty much anything that I don't know. I mean, you just kind of hope that you'll figure it out you know, in time before they realize. <laughs> um, but I was banking on the fact that this was a Friday. He wanted me to start on Monday. Oof. I was like, score. That's great. I got the entire weekend. This is awesome. Yeah. So I ended up reading the whole manual. Of course. And I deconstructed my samples and put them back together. And come Monday morning, I actually, I was really great <laughs> because I yeah. had read the you manual. You come in all confident. You're you like, nailed yeah. it. Yeah, because nobody reads the manuals. I actually read the manual. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of how it started. I was an uh, unpaid intern for a while, basically doing the sample library. And I made sure that Hans saw me there first thing and, you know, saw me there late at night. And, um, one day after about six months or so, he was like, just in the hallway, super casually, he was like, Pinar, do you want a full-time job working for me? I was like, yeah. I was like, great. And that was kind of it. So I, I became one of his programmers. I love the aspect of this entire progress that you've described as luck meets opportunity. You, of all these things, you're in the parking lot and you meet somebody and you go to Prince of Egypt, you know, the record store that night and you get it. But you were looking and so things fall into your life in a wonderful way when you're open and looking. Absolutely. And uh, it's just a beautiful tale. And it also, as we were talking earlier, 
you can't plan for this. You have to be a flexible planner, which is my new favorite expression that you said <laughs> you have to be. And look where it's taking you. I mean, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat. Now we're, now we're at remote. Mm-hmm. You're programming. And uh, needless to say, all the other questions we had for you are flying out the window because this story is... You, you got a video game at a certain point. Is that, is that right? This was, was uh, let's see, a couple of years after that. Yeah. Still at remote. So I was at remote for about a year and a half-ish or so. That's also, as you were mentioning about Paramount, certainly being in that environment, you're seeing a lot Absolutely. of composers. And if someone's listening that's not aware, Remote Control Productions is Hans Zimmer's two-block-long yeah. corridor of... Empire. Amazing composers and mixing rooms and engineers and um, a lot of the composers that you hear on, on films today started in there. Um, yes. And it's it's a, a family of apprenticeship and um, it's an incredible process that churns out some of the best composers in the world. Absolutely. I agree. Um, so while I was there, the next thing that happened was um, I got a call from... One of my conducting teachers, you remember I told you I went to UCLA Extension? Correct. Mm -hmm. That one little, tiny little quarter, it wasn't even a semester. So my conducting teacher there was a friend of uh, Conrad Pope's, Mm. who was a friend of William Ross. Mm. So long, long, it's, you know, six degrees of separation. Can we put an asterisk next to those two names? And can you just briefly say who Conrad and William are? Um, both Conrad and, and Bill, they're amazing orchestrators, Maybe arrangers. The top of yes, they're top. Our field. They're brilliant. Conrad's brilliant. in score. Yes, and the Bill film. Ross has bailed out many, many people behind the scenes on major motion pictures, none of which shall be named. Right, and he's um, his wisdom and experience. You know, there's there are just not many people like him. Correct. To be honest, he's he's brilliant. Um, so I got that phone call and he said, you know, so do you know Bill Ross? I was like, yeah, he's, his assistant is moving to Spain. He's looking for someone. And he's like, I know you're at Hans's, but I just figure I ask you. And I was like, you know what? This is the time of my life to actually get that experience. And, um, very different kind of experience than Hans's, you know, from the, you know, all the high tech programming environment to now very analog penmanship and you know um doing takedowns and you know it's just a very different environment um but i took that job and i was with bill for um maybe a little over a year Hmm. while i was at bill's i got this video game Hmm. and before the video game actually um i got something through a bill that um i'm incredibly grateful for it was just such a interesting um connection and um so one day bill says so my friend you know bill does a lot of things with david foster arrangements Mm -hmm. and things like that and david foster knew uh me as well you know working with bill and um david foster's um good friend is larry ellison Mm -hmm. and um these names i had no idea by the way for for a long time, who Larry Ellison was. Larry Ellison started Oracle. I think has either the largest or second largest yacht in the world. We'll leave it at that. Yes. So um, he, I guess, asked David Foster. Um, you know, my son David is at USC and has got this film he's finishing out. It's like graduation thesis film, looking for a composer. Bill passes because it's a short film. But he says, you yeah, know, maybe my assistant can do it. 
He's like, Bernard, can you put together a reel? I was like, great. And I'm like, awesome. I'm like 23, 24 at the time. So I did. I put the reel together, not really expecting anything. But I was super excited. There was something I was up for, you know. Um, and then so I got hired on David Ellison's short film. Um, and again, not knowing who David was or any of this, you know, I just met him and he was just was really awesome to work with and that became like my first film was a short film hmm. were you nervous um i was really excited you know um th- that the the word nervous is something that i try to convert to excited all the time nice. you know because it's, it's, they're very similar feelings one has a negative thing to it the yeah. other one is a positive but they're very similar feelings were you thinking orchestrally or electronically or both so this one, we only had budget to record maybe two musicians. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Um, and I've, I've done this in other scores moving forward, but I hired a cellist and a vocalist. Hmm. Um, and cello happens to be the one instrument that's closest to human voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very emotional kind of story, very heartfelt. So um, it went, you know, it was really impactful for the score and uh it was a little short film but um to this date i'm really proud of it and um after that that was that went on my demo reel that i would give to people this japanese producer who happened to be making this video game at the time heard my demo Hmm. based on a demo he hired me to score this video game called 99 nights that was you know, at the time when Xbox 360 was coming out. It was one of their big games. And um, I had never done a video game before. I asked Bill. I was like, this agreement stuff I'm looking at is a whole bunch of English words that like, I understand on their own together. I don't understand them. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, you got to, you know, you need someone to represent you on this one. And he introduced me to one of his previous agents uh, at First Artist Management. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, great, we'll represent you for this video game, but you haven't really done anything else, so we'll put you on a conditional roster for six months. Hmm. And I was like, great. Um, so I'm 24 at this point. Yeah. So I thought, that's, that's awesome to be on any kind of roster screen. <laughs> um, so I did that video game, and then I didn't really hear from them. I actually thought, okay, well, that was it. That was a fluke. I did that, and they're not going to represent me, and... I'm done. And I was still working with Bill. And um, then one day I got a call for this um, film called Behind Enemy Lines 2. Mm. It was direct to DVD thing, but. I, I'm going to interrupt to say uh, was that under my watch at Fox? I would believe so. I think so because I just. Uh, we did Behind Enemy Lines 1. I know. And did Hans do that? No, it was someone at remote. I feel like we talked to Ramin about it or we talked about working in that Um, corner office or something. I'm going to figure out who did behind enemies. Carol's checking. I was so involved in picking songs. I remember the score wasn't an issue on behind enemy lines one, but for some reason songs were. And then I do remember that they were thinking of behind enemy lines. Don Davis. Don Davis. I was going to say, because he had just finished matrix. Yes. And we went to Don Davis. Um, 
And Don Davis was brilliant and wonderful, but there was big issues on songs in that. I don't know why, but then I think Behind Enemy Lines 2, did you, were you the sole composer? Yeah. Okay, so DVDs were a little out of the Fox Music purview. Right. So if you asked me if I knew about that, I would look you straight in the eye and go, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> how, how were we to work with? Fantastic. It was That's really a right quick answer. turnaround. Yeah. It, was, it was like 80-something minutes of music in less than three weeks that I had to do. And that was from First Artists. They got you the gig? Yeah. That's brilliant. And, and I, they asked me to demo, and uh, I didn't think I was going to get it. All, the only reason I did the demo was because I wanted them to give me more you know, opportunities. Sure. So I was like... What's involved in a demo? Changes. Um, and it has changed, evolved over the years in my career. Uh, back then with that demo, they wanted to see that I could do this pretty, you know, massive action scene. Yeah. Um, so they give you a scene and you, yeah. you score it and I, they say yay or nay. Yeah. And they, I believe they gave the same scene to three composers and it was a pretty quick turnaround, like two, uh, less than two, it was like a day and a half to be honest, um, to do this. And Sounds I, like a reality show. Yeah, it's kind of like, that's my reality, you know. Yes, and the actual aspect of it, which is interesting, and I don't know if this is the first time you'd run into this, but you just described two things that were an issue back then, and I think you are maybe solely responsible for making this not an issue. Action compo an, an action scene with action music and a woman. There was a feeling of, well, don't you hire women? And I'm, listen, I'm aware as anyone that how insane this was but to do romantic to do evocative uh and action you know it's a testosterone driven you know their their pens only move in one direction <laughs> on the page so the brilliant part is somebody there i'd love to remember who um decided to say listen to just the music which is all it takes it's not who's writing it it's just the music and i'm listen you listen to captain marvel score which we'll get to that is absolutely the kind of action music you dream of in a movie and you don't think i wonder what color what gender what age the composer is it simply does the music work and i've had that experience um luckily of learning that in a wonderful way that it doesn't matter the gender it's the composition yeah. so on behind enemy lines two you must have beaten your other competitors, and we'll never know, and maybe you know. I actually don't. I don't want to know. I've been in Captain Good. Marvel. I I put my horse blinders on. That's what I've done my entire it career. It was John Williams and Alan Silvestri. <laughs> <laughs> they both wanted the gig, and you just crushed uh, it. <laughs> um, so you yeah, nailed that. I nailed that. And your resume is now building. It's now building. And then... Um, I, uh, Bill was going through some changes in the studio and I was no longer working for him. So now I'm like, okay, I guess I want to, I want to just do this on my own. It was scary because when you're working for somebody else, it's sort of like working a safe bank job or, you know, anything like that where, you know, you clock in, you clock out, you get certain money and you're good. And there's great safety in that. But I found that when you don't have a safety net, um, you actually live differently. Like your life depends on it. You do everything very differently. Every job could be your last. Yeah. Um, so 
I basically made that decision to, okay, I'm not going to work for anybody else as an assistant anymore. Um, I'm just going to send my demo out to everyone. And this is before SoundCloud, YouTube days again, you know. Um, so that meant that I had to turn my living room into a factory assembly line of CDs and resumes and cover letters, uh, which was expensive for somebody who wasn't making, you know, a lot of money. Um, but I did that and I sent, I got this, um, this list of films that were in development and pre-production. Wow. And I subscribed to this service. It was, for me at the time, it was really expensive. It was like a couple thousand dollars or something. So, you know, for somebody who's not making any money, uh, barely making any money, it was an investment. But through that, every week they would send out new, you know. And um, so I would extract all the information. I had like a whole, I built a whole database <laughs> of like films and who I got in touch with, who I sent what to. And um, then I, I sent bunch of literally hundreds not thousands of cds um from that i got one film on the first round i got one film mm. and then that the second round it was more and then they told about me to somebody else and they it's just kind of a little web that started growing if you're wondering how to become a film composer she's slowly answering this with all these steps which is the perseverance. I keep going back to the broken down $500 car in front of the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And it's the, the story is just, it's inspiring. I mean, you're, you're in the, you don't, you're, you're scared. You're not making money and you're, you've created a business of shipping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and look, nowadays we have the internet and you can reach people by tweeting them and maybe they'll see it. Right. And this is a time where, it's much harder to get in touch with people. Absolutely. And I imagine your five hundred, your second five hundred dollar car is now you driving these CDs and resumes around. Yeah. So, and yeah. Cl you said perseverance. Failure is not an option with Pinar. It's just it's so clear. Straight ahead. Yeah, and failures did happen. You know, different levels of failures did happen along the way, but um, they're not career failures. They're just little bumps. Yeah. You know, and sometimes the little bumps felt really, really like big bumps, but uh, we keep moving forward. Yeah. Was there a moment now as we move through more films that you felt more secure that things had started to? Was there a picture or a project that made you think, I kind of have. I'm on the radar now. Arrived of. a little bit. I moved into phase two or three. Um, I don't know if I ever f will feel that way. Um, yeah. I feel a little more, um, I don't know what the word is, more relaxed, um, when it comes to like right now after Captain Marvel, I can take meetings that I couldn't take before mm -hmm. or it would be difficult and, um, and the credibility factor has kind of increased. So that makes um, conversations a little bit, you know, I had to really prove my point before and I still do, but um, things have gotten slightly um, easier in some ways and more difficult in other ways. But I don't know about phases, one long phase for me. It's, it is one long phase, but yeah. there's such a great moment now for you of 
being among the hot composers in Hollywood. You're now in a new, you know, gener- I get to see the generations. So you're part of this generation that's just exploding. There's of a certain age and, and new approach to film music. The new class. It yeah. is really the new class. And you're right. one of the leading lights, of course. And you have two other aspects that make any meeting great. The music speaks for itself. And the most exciting thing is producers and studio executives and directors really love box office (laughs) more than anything. I don't know what you thought I was going to say, but you can now say, yeah, I I wrote the music for a billion-dollar movie. And they say, "Um, what's your schedule like coming up? It is as important, fabulous, well-deserved a fact, but... It's a really wonderful ticket to have in addition to everything else. Um, so it's a great moment for you. Thank you. Thank you. Are we, you. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about all kinds of superhero stuff. Not only Captain Marvel, but you worked on Justice League and um, Krypton. So we'll right. talk more, much more about that in just a minute. Awesome. We'll be right back. Hey, SCORE fans, it's Kenny. Now that Season 2 is going strong, you can look good while you're listening. We just released the official SCORE the Podcast t-shirt. There's multiple colors and sizes for men, women, and children. And they're super soft. I just got a few myself. They fit really nice, and they feel great, and they look cool. Uh, So go to score-movie.com slash store. Check those out, and you can also get a copy of SCORE, a film music documentary on Blu-ray, and our uh, interview bonus disc that has the extended interviews from the film. So plenty to check out, score-movie.com slash store, and get your shirt today. Welcome back to Moon Road Studios with Pinar Toprak. What, what is the significance of the name of your studio? Is there a story behind that? There is. So I'm obsessed with moonlight reflecting on the ocean. It's one of my most favorite views in the world. Mm. And Turkish, and I believe Japanese, I'm not, someone might correct me on this one, but I believe only one or two languages in the world actually have a word for that moon reflection on water. Um, so I was trying to figure out what that is the English equivalent, and I asked everybody, and like, I don't know, you know, it's moonlight on the ocean or whatever, you know. So, um, but it, it look, that view looks like a road that leads to the moon. And I'm obsessed oh, with awesome. yeah. So I'm obsessed with space and the ocean. I'm a sailor too, so it's uh, it's a that's how we can. Can you tell us the word in Turkish? Yakamos. Yakamos. That's a nice name for a studio too. Yeah. That'll be your other studio. That'll be the other one. That's um, so we've we've gone through this incredible timeline of climbing this ladder that you were told wasn't going to happen and you shouldn't do it, and you did it, and so here we are now. Um, can you tell us how you got involved with Justice League and started kind of jumping into this superhero music world? Sure. Um, my agent is Laura Engel and Richard Kraft and everybody else at Kraft Engel. Uh, but Laura one day called me and um, I guess D- Danny was, was looking for additional writers on Justice League. And she was like, you should, you should meet him and you know demo for him. That's Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And uh, so I did. I went, Danny, I, I went to, to Danny's studio, and I was so starstruck because I've been a huge fan of his, and he has an awesome space. And I would just chat it, and I really liked him as a human being, which is so nice when you actually 
you know, like your heroes in real life. And, um, and then he, he gave me uh, the, the themes that he's had and it's like, okay, go, go have fun with them, see what you can do. And, and, uh, I was like, okay. Um, it was, it was tricky because, you know, part of it was like, okay, how true like, does he want to see what I can actually do? Like if I kind of went on my thing or does he really want me to see just how I arrange that? So, Hmm. I was like, I'm just going to do both. Both meaning two versions? Two versions. Okay. So I did one where I was very true to his his theme and everything else. And I did another one where I just kind of did my... Rocked out. Yeah, I kind of really deconstructed and did my own thing. And I was really afraid that he was going to take, you know, <laughs> like, what did you do with my music? Uh, it was actually so lovely, and he called me back, and he liked that I took those chances, and um, and then that was kind of it. I got hired and um, wrote quite a bit, and then right after that, um, Krypton, actually the week that, the, the week or the week after Justice League came out, um, Krypton was looking for a composer. And um, it was one of those, you know, I got a call Friday night. My agent's like, do you want a weekend project? I'm like, well, what is it? Like, Krypton. I'm like, wait, like Superman's Krypton? And uh, I was like, yeah. I was like, yes, I want that weekend project. (laughs) Um, Was it a weekend project or did it last longer than that? Well, the demoing was a weekend project. Um, What happened was I guess they were trying to get the studio cut approved or something uh, on Monday or Tuesday. And they thought... Well, if we actually present your music along with that, then if they like that, then we'll get the gig. So it was kind of a very um, intelligent kind of um, plot. There's a truck passing by. Um, so Immersive audio here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. It's actually not a truck. It's a sound effects guy we've hired. Yeah. Uh, My subwoofer just kind of goes right. Um, yeah, so... So you knocked it out that. over that weekend. Yeah. Turned and it then, in. And, and I got hired the following week. Won another contest. Yes. Another contest. Lovely. Can you tell us about the inspirations? Because, um, you know, Superman's theme, everyone thinks of John Williams, but you're you're taking on this Superman-related world, but it's in a different time. And did they ask for orchestral john williams style did they ask for electronic what was the approach that they wanted to go with this and um how did you how did you tackle that well they didn't you know, um the direction wasn't too clear in the beginning which was fantastic for me because i could kind of do my own thing they were very open um because you know yes it's superman related but this is krypton it's a different planet so we're not telling superman on earth story we're telling you know the krypton how they lived in an entirely different planet so anything goes um and they really allowed me to have fun with it so it ended up being a very hybrid kind of score it was never going to be super traditional we knew that um, but there were a couple of uh, s- scenes we actually did use the theme, which was really cool. The John Williams theme. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you get? Did you talk to him at all during mm. this process? Or? No, no. I wish I had met him many, many years ago. But yeah, not doing this. <laughs> it's such a cool theme. I read that um, you also had to write kind of pop songs. Oh yeah. That occurred in this world because you're not going to hear. Taylor Swift on the radio right. on Krypton. Yeah. You, well, you might. 
<laughs> well, yeah, you, maybe maybe Taylor. She's yeah. big. This is fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Epic, emotional, sonically interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, especially like for the brainiac scenes and stuff. I <laughs> I uh, wasn't sure if they were going to go for it, but I create a lot of really weird sounds because brainiac is more like a lot of it's very heavy sound design sort of stuff. And they loved it, which was great. I'm like, great, anything goes. But as far as the, the, the songs go, yeah, we had like bar source music. Hmm. You know, like you said, you're not going to put, you know, any rock and roll or whatever, anything else in the background there. So you had to create um, what they would be listening to. So that was And there's really, probably no rules for that. Right? No, it could no be anything. Rules. Yeah. This season is going to be fantastic as well. It's, it's a really fun show. How great and how fun to create pop music for another galaxy. Yeah. Another solar system. Yeah. It makes me wonder, is it four on the floor or do they have odd time signatures, odd sounds? I guess I have to watch to find out. Exactly. Oh, wow. Clearly, I'm seeing a uh, pattern here, which seems to be part of your karma, which is we're going now from Krypton, or actually from Justice League, Krypton. How did Marvel come into your universe? And uh, universe being the operative word, because now you are certainly you're you're superhero adjacent with some of these other projects and now it's straight down the middle would you do a superhero movie can you tell us about what that first phone call was like well so um how it started was i made my intentions clear um with my agents at the time and uh so they knew how badly i wanted this and there were other superhero films in the past that i there was actually one in particular a few years prior to that that i did this demo for and um, I it, it got some interest, but it didn't end up happening because of other reasons. Uh, but that demo actually opened up doors. Uh, hmm. Dave Jordan was the music supervisor on Captain Marvel and all the other Marvel films. He uh, he had heard this demo, and um, it was actually on my YouTube. If you guys go there, there's a, a track called um, "What Is It By." title it echoes of battles or something like that um so that was the track because i had to do this demo at a time where i was super broke mm. and it was um and richard uh my agent he was like you got to do a video you have to do something different and and you know he was he initially told me you should hire these musicians and do this whole this stuff and i'm like yeah i'm broke <laughs> i can't really do that um but um what I did was, so, I mean, I can probably say the, the movie that I really wanted was Wonder Woman. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, instead of, you know, faking, because I did the entire track in the box. So instead of actually faking the orchestra in front of me and whatnot, why don't I actually show them that I'm the one playing all of this stuff? So it was kind of a demo on a budget. Fantastic. And... Uh, the only thing live was um, Lily Hayden is a wonderful Lover. violinist and singer and just a beautiful human being. Um, she was on it, and then I did this video. You know, we were playing the guitars and the dulcimer and all these things and the toms and um, just kind of really show like. And you pieced it all together. I feel, yeah, I, I hired you know somebody really super low budget and did this video. And um, that was you know, three years before Captain Marvel. So my agents already knew that I wanted 
that kind of a project. And then once I found out that Captain Marvel is happening, they knew that I would, of course, want to do something for it. Demo for it. And um, so I got the call that I had a shot at Hmm. auditioning, which to me was, again, it was almost like going back to Behind Enemy Lines 2 back in the day. I was just so happy that somebody was going to listen. Great. Um, Whether I got it or not, because it would get me closer if I didn't get it. Either way. So the uh, the good thing now was that I had a bit more financial resources mm-hmm. than I did three years. Three years before. So I went and hired a 70-piece orchestra. Right on. Mm-hmm. And um, I conducted the orchestra at Warner Brothers because I wanted them to see two things. Did you film that? Yeah, I hired an EPK crew. Right. And... Um, Pieces were called Demo 1, Demo 2. Everyone's wondering, this is a big demo. Um, How yeah. long did, it, did, did they give you to do it? So they gave me two scenes, two previous scenes. This was before the film was shot, or actually it was still in production. But I had two pre- previous scenes. I went through a, like a month-long Marvel security clearance thing before I could even you know, get on this. And um, once I got those scenes, I knew you know, what I, I wanted them to see both the orchestral side as well as the the electronic side. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't really, like, I had a very small conversation with Ryan, one of our directors, um, but I didn't really know what they wanted musically. So I just wanted kind of my own approach and, you know, see see what happens. Yeah. Um, And so I did that. I conducted the orchestra. I made sure that I, because I wanted them to know that I can handle the orchestra of this size. And the only way to do that is really for them to see me. You know, there's nothing like seeing. Yep. And then I did another video in my studio where I, it was like a self-audition, like actor's self-audition tape where I talked to the camera. Hmm. Because, again, I'm not going to be in the room with Kevin Feige and everybody else at yep. that point. And I wanted them to get a sense of who I am. And mm-hmm. so I talked to the camera. I even played the theme on the, the keyboard and all that. This is awesome. And uh, I, I just talked about Captain Marvel, you know, what the character meant to me and what I resonated with and all that. And I, I sent it off, and it was one of those let go, let God things. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that I'm not going to have any remorse as to, like, you know, I'm, I could have done this. I could, with, with this particular audition, I really felt like, you know, this is, a, this is a pretty good audition. If it doesn't work out, it's going to be artistic differences, which is fine. Yeah. But, um, but it worked out. What was that call like when you got it? Oh, I literally lost feelings of my knees. Oh. I, I just collapsed on the floor. Um, Where were you at home? I you, was at home. I bet you remember that. Oh, I remember it second by second. It was just uh, probably. I mean, it's a magical call. It was amazing. It was Dave Jordan that called me. Oh, that's so wonderful yeah. because you told a sort of Dave Jordan esque story, which yeah. he told on our podcast several episodes ago when you said that you spoke directly to the camera and told what captain marvel meant to you and i'm sure spoke a little about the character dave told us that when he came onto the fox lot for daredevil um he went in with a whole bag of cds to play for the director but they never played any music he just talked about his love of Daredevil. Yeah, he's how, like an old school collector of Daredevil. How he understood the character and what he thought the character would like and do. And the director said, 
you got it, man. This is great. And he left and he realized, I never played any music. Mm -hmm. Yours, you played music. But clearly, filmmakers want to know that you're not only capable musically, which you showed and everything, but that you understand the, I mean, it's what Hans would always say, it's story. Mm -hmm. That you understood the narrative and you clearly showed them that. Did your demos end up, did anything that you wrote, was that part of the film or did you change what your demos were? Um, The only part that stayed is, um, I think on the soundtrack it's called Breaking Free, um, just before she lands on Earth. Um, Some of it was from the demo. But the actual Captain Marvel theme, I wrote after I saw the film. Oh, so good. There's a really cool combination of electronics and orchestra in this score. Did um, the era that it took place in, was that an an effect on how you approached the score? Yeah, I mean, more than the era, it was her. She's a hybrid. You know, Mm. she's, she's health human, health Cree. And so it was more about capturing her essence rather than... The time period, I mean, there are definitely parts of the score that they are very 90s. But when it came to her theme, it was more about creating something that really captures Carol Danvers um, that could travel through different time periods, you know. This is a magnificent cue. I mean, just for mm-hmm. fans of film music to hear the way it evolves, the way it's structured. You know, Here Han- comes those electronics. Yeah. Ju- John Williams writes certain portions for himself, Hans always says. There's a B section that's really for him, and you hear here it's clearly film music, but there's also some releases that are really elegant. Thank you. Well, can you tell us about uh, the night the movie premiered? I happened to be out on Hollywood Boulevard when the when the Air Force oh, wasn't flew it over. Um, was that just a surreal experience for you, being out there and... and I mean, it was real. It was very much real. You know, what happens in these Marvel films in particular, you know, for many, many months, we're, we can't talk about it at all. It's such a private, small world. We can't talk to our family. We can't talk to our friends. We can't talk. I mean, I feel like I can't even think about it because somebody installed a chip in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so going from that really small environment where, you, you know, you know you're working on a Marvel film, but all of a sudden we're doing press and then, you know, I mean, I was working on the film till like a month before it was released. You know, sometimes, you know, we work on films and then, you know, it's many, many months until it's released. You kind of have a chance to kind of move on to other things and breathe a little. This film was just being so immersed and then now everybody else is seeing it. It was just, it was crazy. A beautiful crazy, but it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and and huge instantly um and so i mentioned earlier i mean we haven't even talked about Fortnite, which is, might be the most explosive how, game how, how much have you heard this in your life Uh-oh. Yeah. she's dancing <laughs> <laughs> now this game is is interesting because correct me if i'm wrong but there there aren't many games that cross platforms and this game constantly keeps evolving Right. right. So are you kind of on like a retainer? Do you do they call you and say, hey, we're going to add some stuff? Or how does that how does this game work? Because it, it doesn't seem to end. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a piece that sits on the shelf. It, it constantly keeps evolving, which is one of the, the 
smartest uh, things about Fortnite um, that really contributes to its success, and especially with this ADD generation thing. There's something new all the time. Um, as far as my work is concerned, I wrote the first score, um, and then I did some additional work for a couple other seasons. But there's new seasons coming out all the I time. Um, and then I just I had to move on to other things. So now they have other composers that have taken the ideas and you know. But you are influencing them. contemporary culture, and <laughs> your music is in some of the biggest properties now, which is just wonderful to be able to say and and share with an audience that we're sitting here with someone who you heard couldn't afford the Prince of. Egypt soundtrack. Yeah, she may have eaten the booklet exactly <laughs> for dinner. And so I think before we move on and and uh, let you let you work and let you go back to work because <laughs> clearly you're busy. Is anything exciting on the horizon that we can look for or about to drop that that our listeners will say, "Hey, I know more about her now." Well, let's see. Um... I am writing the score for Star Girl, which is a new TV show by Jeff Johns. Mm. Um, pretty exciting. Star Girl. Is that Star Jeff Johns. No, that's, that's that, breaking that, news. That's breaking news. Oh, yeah. that's like, <laughs> I don't see that on IMDb. You heard it so. first. <laughs> is that your Star Girl sound? <laughs> that's my demo. I'm fired. <laughs> um, yeah, no, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, and I wrote the opening. This is a, it was an interesting one, but I wrote the opening for Christina Aguilera's Vegas show. Oh, oh wow. wow! Yeah, I just that pulled off like, your line oh, wow. right there. Oh, oh wow! wow. In perfect sync. Meaning she comes out on stage into a fabulous kind of opening bit, and yeah. it's composed by you, right? And did you hang with Christina? I did. She's awesome. She She's is great. awesome. Yeah. Bernard Toprek in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh dang! <laughs> Buy your tickets your, now. Your fans will be there. That's exciting. Yeah. And that's also kind of perfectly amazing that your jobs are now encompassing live shows video games tv film is there anything left for you to score oh sure. we forgot to even ask you about pearl it's it's a unique thing and that's a it's a short film but it was it was widely released i mean it's it's everywhere yeah, that was really fun uh because it was the first time after so many years that i got to actually work with a big band orchestra and it was just so much fun we have a little clip here so different from everything else we've heard fantastic that we've been talking what a about chart. it's hot So swinging, such a great feel. Robert's playing. Well, it's the Freddie Green guitar quarter notes. Listen to the winds. Oh, that's so cool. Thanks. That's my zone. Is that recorded in Hollywood? Yeah, Capitol. Oh, so I only can guess who the great players are on that because you hear. Yeah. You hear everybody. Yeah, and then all the cats. Tommy Vicari recorded and oh, mixed. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, yeah, it was it was just in was capital great. A. Yep, 
Oh my God, that's the room. Yeah, that's, that's Frank the room. Sinatra's room. Yeah, that's Frank Sinatra. It was amazing. And, and Pearl is. It's a Pixar Disney Pixar short. Yep. Sure. Um, that's really cute. Yeah. That's so what, great. Are they getting into the short film space? I mean, this is kind of a new idea. Well, Pinar's so busy, they can't get her for an entire film. So what they have to do <laughs> yeah. now is they're actually creating shorter films just so they can get her. I mean, we're living in this world now where like people are trying to create shorter content anywhere they can and put it out there. Is this Is this something that, I mean, how is this presented to you? Um, my agent, <laughs> but, uh, it, it was just, it was great. I met with the, um, the filmmakers. I went up there and, um, just, it has a beautiful message. Anyone that hasn't watched it, it's on YouTube. You can just watch it on YouTube. It's wonderful. It's like eight minutes long, so you can fit it. But in then the, the question becomes, and I think it's a good one because people don't assume that composers can write out of one lane. I ran into it all the time that since you're doing action movies, you can't, obviously can't do a little sensitive kind of indie film because you just do big chase scenes and then, or vice versa. If you're doing a quirky indie film, you probably can't write for an orchestra. How do they find out that you can write a big band swing cue? Did you have a demo? Did I, you say, I demoed, yeah. You did? Yeah, and I'm, I'm a big fan of demoing. Like, you know, if you're going to get a contractor to remodel your house or like anything else, you know, it's okay to see their previous work or maybe have them do something that, you know, I think, um, I do this because I love it. Not because it's not the, the high of getting the job and getting a paycheck. It's, it was never been about that for me. Um, I just get really excited and I'm honored anytime I have a chance to be considered for something so and if it's something that i haven't done it's perfectly natural for them to wonder if i could do it or not so i just say hey i'll i'll write you a little something and you see that is the greatest attitude maybe i've ever seen and it's a perfect perfect conclusion mm -hmm. although in my head i now have dun, 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 get it, get it, get it, get it. that is so swinging thank you and i, I we do want to ask too you know you're in this position where you've scored this huge film with a female lead and you're a female composer who hit it out of the billion dollar park um what does that mean to you just looking back at when someone said don't do this and now you're you're sort of leading this charge where there's a small percentage of women composers in hollywood and you're you're at the top of the list um it's it's a pretty surreal thing and i you know on a personal level Obviously, I'm very grateful, and it's it's great. But um, you know, if you think of it as just a personal achievement, it will start and end with me. But if you think of it as okay, now, hopefully, through the success of this film, um, that you know, filmmakers and everybody else, and it doesn't even have to just be in, in music or in film. Anybody that wants to do something that's out of the ordinary, um, hopefully, it'll give them some inspiration and some motivation um it's not easy not, not nothing worth having in life is easy but i think if you if you want grand things you have to be, be willing to risk grand things um and you just keep moving forward and i i hope it's, it's going to change some minds and hearts i think a lot of times it's just building that credit report you know just uh the more we do it the less we're going to talk about it because it'll just be the norm Oh, that's so great. 
the more we do it, the less we're going to talk about it. That is great. <laughs> I love that. Panara, what a joy. Really Thank joyful you. to hear the story. I mean, that was exciting. And uh, I'm waiting for your biopic. Absolutely. (laughs) That's it. Pinar, we want to thank you for coming on the show. A reminder to our listeners to follow us on Twitter at score the podcast rate review on Apple podcasts and uh, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Robert, we're going to be coming back in a fortnight with a new episode. Nice. Thank you so much. And uh, just great to talk to Pinar today. What a treat. Congratulations. Thank we you. are with the real Captain Marvel, and oh. it's been a, a real treat for us. Thank, Thank you. you so much. We'll see you next week. See you next time. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. What about strange lands and escape from the everyday? It's brilliant, George. Before anyone knew them by name. Who's a good boy, Indiana? 400 grand. Let me explain it. George, that's our money.